0: Good morning.
1: Good
0: morning. Uh, as you know, if you've been uh, coming here for any length of time, uh, I have been uh, preaching through the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, so we will start in Hebrews chapter 11, but we will very quickly move to Genesis chapter 8 and 9. And there is a lot of material that I have this morning so we may or may not get through the whole thing. Um, I hope that we will, but I'm not going to push it too hard. But I trust that the Lord will um, show Himself to us as we look into His Word. So let me just read this verse from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 by way of introduction, and then we will open in prayer. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, it is with gratitude that we come before You this morning. We thank You for this great hall of faith the greatest hall of fame there ever was. We thank You that these men stand as examples to us of how to live for You. And we pray that we would learn from their examples. We pray that we would learn from the example of Noah. That we would realize that as great as he was in the annals of the Bible and in history, he was a man like as we are. And that we can have the faith that Noah had and be used as he was in this present generation. I pray for Your presence here, Lord, for I cannot do this on my own. I ask that Your words would come forth from my lips. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. Well, just by way of introduction, it's interesting the wording that is in this verse in Hebrews. It says, Noah, being warned of God of things, not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his house. Now, I don't know about you, but I have become a pretty regular watcher of the weather since in my mid-teens, my dad would often ask me for the weather report. It was kind of one of my jobs around the house to, to look at the weather and to tell the family what was going on as we planned our week. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder about those weather forecasts, both because sometimes they just don't come true uh, the way they're written, but also because you'll have days where it's close to 50 degrees, and then they tell you tomorrow it's going to be a high of 22. And you're like, as nice as it is today, how can it be that cold tomorrow? And lo and behold, you wake up the next morning, and you're frozen to the bone. Or if you're like me, you wake up in the middle of the night because you're colder than you expected to be. And you pull your blankets up and you say, when is spring actually going to be here? But the point I'm trying to make here is, that we rely on the weather forecast to show us what is coming next in the weather. Now, they may or may not be right. I often say that the weather man's profession is one of the few professions where you can be wrong so much of the time and still keep your job. But the fact of the matter is that Noah was warned by God about something that had not happened yet. As far as we know, and as far as we read from the early part of Genesis, it had not even rained ever before. And yet God says to Noah, the world is going to flood. And we read last time that we were together, and I spoke, that God that Noah was told by God how to build an ark, and the last verse of that chapter in chapter 6 says, Noah did all that God commanded him. And so now as we pick up the story, in, uh, actually we'll start in Genesis chapter 7, we will see that this story continues, and there's some very significant things that I want to bring out here. The first point, if you're keeping notes, that we're going to discuss is that Noah boards the ark and God shuts the door. There's significance to that. And the Lord said unto Noah, starting in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and the female, and of the beasts that are not clean, by two, the male and the female. Of the fowls of the air, by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I made will I destroy off the face of the earth. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And they went in, male and female, of all flesh, as God commanded them. And the Lord shut them in. Now, you'll notice a few things here. First of all, there are some animals, uh, the clean animals, that God had Noah bring in by sevens. And you'll find out later, as we finish up this story of Noah, that God... Uh, the the first thing Noah does when he gets off the ark is to sacrifice to God. He builds an altar and he sacrifices of the clean animals to God. And so therefore, he would need more than two of them because they would need to survive and, and procreate and refill the earth. And yet he would need the ability to give a sacrifice unto God. So... That is one of the reasons for the numbers that we read here. And then we continue on and we see again that phrase. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And they went in they went in male and female of all flesh as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. I think it's, it's very significant because the Lord is in control of this whole process. And there's a passage in Peter's epistles where it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So undoubtedly, throughout this time of building the ark, throughout this time of preparing for the flood, Noah was telling people, hey, We have room on the ark for you. You can come in and be saved from the flood that's coming. And it's quite possible that he had other people working on the ark that weren't in his family. But they didn't believe about the flood, but a job is a job. And so it's quite possibly that as he was working on the ark with these people, he was preaching righteousness to them. And so picture with me, if you will, Noah goes into this boat and God shuts the door. <clears throat> this, is, this is something that we often don't think about when we tell the story of Noah's Ark to our children or, or when we think about it ourselves. But can you imagine, as the rain starts, that these people might have been thinking, hey, maybe Noah was right. And perhaps they even beat against the door and said, Noah, open the door for us so we can come in. Because you were right. But by the time they came in and God shut the door, there was no way for them to get in the ark. That is reminiscent of something that we face today. God has given us all a choice. To choose Christ for our salvation. The door is open. Jesus is the door. He said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall go in and out and find pasture. And there's another passage that says, he will be saved if he enters in the door. So the, so one of my challenges for you today is to have you entered the door. Because the day is coming when Jesus will come and He will make everything right on this earth. And everyone that followed Him, everyone that trusted Him will be on His side and we will witness the battle of the ages and we will see Jesus win once and for all and set up a new kingdom on this earth. But if you have not chosen Him at this time, you will be on the losing side and you will be sentenced to an eternity in hell. And the door will be shut. God's grace will be removed. Praise be to God that it has not been yet. But the day is coming. So my encouragement to you is seek Christ today. Could somebody read uh, as we consider this first point uh, cross reverence of Second Peter two verses five to nine? Second Peter two, five to nine, if you get it, if you turn to it, please stand and read it.
1: not the old world but saved Noah the eighth person a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them with an overthrow making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly and delivered just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of <coughs> wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, okay. and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished.
0: So we see in this passage, God has two camps. Either you are in the just, and you are going to be delivered from tribulation. That referenced several stories, but it referenced Noah and the ark, of course. God saving eight people on the ark when the whole world was flooded. And what we'll find out as we go through uh, this passage, continuing on today, that it wasn't just a little rain, it wasn't just a little gusher from below, but the the very tops of the mountains were covered. Now, can you imagine that? Think about some of the tallest mountain ranges you've ever heard of. Mount Everest, the Alps. Some of these mountains might have even been created by the flood. But the point is that the very mountains were covered. So this is not talking about a little water. It's not talking about a rebuilding job like that of Hurricane Katrina. It's talking about a total annihilation of the world as they knew it before the flood. And there are some pretty major changes that take place after the flood. People don't live nearly as long. You know, before the flood, there were people that lived almost a thousand years. And after the flood, the lifespan of man went down considerably. There were the occasional people that still lived to be 130 or 140, I think. But in general, it was pretty much down to the way it is today. I wanted to uh, read this quote by Samuel Rutherford. I think it kind of helps us to understand this first point in light of our responsibility to God. Samuel Rutherford says, Duties are ours. Events are God's. When our faith goes to meddle with events and to hold account upon God's providence and beginneth to say, How wilt thou do this or that? We lose ground. We have nothing to do there. It is our part to let the Almighty exercise His own office and steer His own helm. There is nothing left for us but to see how we may be approved of Him and how how we roll the weight of our weak souls upon Him. Who is omnipotent? And th- and when we thus and when we thus say, <clears throat> miscarrieth, it shall be neither our sin nor our cross. Now I know that could be probably more simplified, but I think the main. Point of that quote is that God is God and sometimes applying our human logic to Him does Him a disservice. A lot of people today say that God is a God of love so He would never condemn people to death. But you see, the God that that we're reading about here... Who sent this flood is the same God with whom we have to do today. He had a way to save the people from the flood if they would choose it. And He has a way to save you if you choose it. Okay moving along to the second point today. I'm going to be reading from Genesis 7 17 to 24. This the second point everything outside the ark is destroyed. And the flood was forty days upon the earth and the waters increased and bare of the ark And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts, and of every creepy thing, creeping, creeping thing that creepeth upon the whole earth, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was on the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground. Both men and cattle and creepy things and the fowl of heaven and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him. And the waters prevailed upon the earth one hundred and fifty days. Okay, so we, we pretty much see from the passage that we just read that the flood was all-encompassing. It said that the hills and mountains were covered. It said 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with what a cubit is. But it's basically from a man's elbow to the tip of his finger. Is the way that the people understood a cubit. So it may fluctuate a little bit um, depending on the size of the person. But we are to understand that this meant that the water was extremely uh, deep, extremely tall, and extremely dangerous. And it says everything was covered. I don't know if Noah ever looked out the window during the, the rainy part of the flood at all. Because it says after it stopped raining, then he opened the window that was in the ark and he looked out. And we'll, we'll get into that in a few minutes. But can you imagine looking out of that ark and seeing nothing but water? Now, I, I, there have been at least once in my life, maybe twice in my life, where I was on a boat and I went out into the middle of whatever bottle, body of water it was and I could not see land. I don't think that that is my preference. I'm not a boater. I'm not a fisherman. I prefer terra firma. But I can't imagine what that must have been like for for Noah and his his family. And you talk about needing to get along with one another. I mean, the ark was pretty big, but I doubt that there were luxury accommodations and the opportunity to go into the hot tub room whenever you needed to relax. This was, you know, being on an ark where the water was covering the whole earth. There was no land to go to. Um, You just had to be together. And of course, it prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So we're talking about almost six months of waiting for God. Now I wonder if during this time, they ever wondered if God was going to forget where they were. We know that the children of Israel constantly thought that God would forget where they were. But He never did. He has control over the whole situation. Sometimes I wonder in my humanity, with what goes on here in our country and in this world, whether God has forgotten where we are or what we're facing. But then I open the Bible and I read Paul's epistles and Peter's epistles and I realize that they read like they were written yesterday. Why? Because God knew what was going to happen. He predicted many of the things that we're going through today. And if people would open their eyes, if they would allow the Spirit of God to permeate their hearts... And the scales to fall from those eyes, they would see that God is true and every man is a liar. Uh, can somebody read for me Second Peter chapter three, verses five and six?
1: This they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were bold and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water.
0: Okay, so Peter again makes reference to the flood. I wonder if maybe this was one of Peter's favorite stories growing up, having some knowledge of the Old Testament But he continues to make reference to it because the Bible says, and Jesus said this, "...as the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be." So there's a lot of parallels between what was going on on the earth with Noah and what we face as we uh, progress toward the end of time and Jesus coming again. And I believe that is coming soon, Obviously, uh, God's timetable is different from mine. There have been many people that have predicted the coming of the Lord. I can think of uh, just uh, two, two times in the recent past when a certain man said, Jesus is coming back on such and such a day. But guess what? We're still here. My dad told me that there was a guy that wrote a book called... 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. That was quite a while ago. There were many people that thought in World War II that it was the end of days and that Hitler was in fact the Antichrist. Now that was an awful period in our history. But it wasn't the end of days. There were people in Paul's day who quit their work and became busybodies because they were waiting for the coming of the Lord. But Paul came to give them balance and said, Wait a second, if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. Do your work. Be watchful for Jesus, but be prepared to stay as long as he leaves you here. Paul said it this way. He said, I'm at a strait betwixt two points whether to leave and be with Christ, which is far better, or whether to remain with you. And then he goes on to say, But it was more needful for you that I stay. You know, I find myself struggling between those two points. There are things here on this earth that I still want to accomplish. But I long for heaven because in heaven there are no crippled bodies. In heaven there are no wheelchairs. There are no decaying buildings. There are no aging grandparents. There is only eternity with the King of kings and Lord of lords who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise God. And yet, I am so glad that it's not a decision that I have to make. As long as I am here on this earth, I get to preach His Word, I get to encourage the saints, and that's a winning situation. But if He takes me away from this earth, then I get to praise Him in person. And be with those who I love who have gone on before me. So that's a winning situation. It's the best win-win situation in the entire universe. I can't lose. G. Campbell Morgan said this about waiting on God. He said, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, first, activity on your command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. This leads us to our third point, but let me just speak to that a second. Oftentimes, we think, well, we've got to move forward. And yes, there's a sense in which we all have to be moving forward in our relationship with God and as an assembly. But we must seek God's will and we must have it confirmed. Remember, when David... Realized that God's house was just a tabernacle. And he's like, I have a palace to dwell in, but God is just in a tabernacle. He needs a temple, and I want to build it for him. What happened? Nathan said, Go! Do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And from the outside looking in, we would say, Yes! All that was in David's heart was to serve him. God says and acts that David was a man after his own heart who will do all his will. So if anybody could do this and be in the will of God, it would be him. But God pays a visit to Nathan that night and He says, David will not build My temple because he has shed blood rather his son his heir will build my temple and so david got the material many of the materials ready he prepared the way and then when solomon became king he built the temple and it was on that great day when they dedicated the temple when the people were rejoicing toward god when they had just sacrificed So many animals that it would be tough to list them all. It was then that Solomon said, "If uh, if your people are with you, be with us. But if we fall, if we depart from you, please show mercy." And that is when God said from heaven, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will move my hand, and I will heal their land. You see, we often think that 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 came out of a time of desperation, but really, that directive from God came out of a time of great rejoicing and closeness with Him. But the reminder was there that if you walk away, if you, if, you, uh, if you get caught up in the world and you forget about me, I will not forget you. And I will always be there to accept your repentance. So third, God remembers Noah. And it says that in so many words in Genesis chapter 8 verse 1, And God remembered Noah and every living thing, and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters a surge, the fountains also of the deep, and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the ark continually. And after the end of 150 days, the waters were abated, and the ark rested the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And then we see Noah and the process that he goes through to find out if the earth is ready for them to inhabit it again. It says, He sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth the dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the earth, from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand, and he took her, and pulled her into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening. And low in her mouth was an olive leaf, but... off, so that Noah knew that the waters were abated off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days, and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Isn't that interesting? The whole earth had been covered with with water. And now the ground was dry. It doesn't say the ground was damp. It doesn't say the ground was drying out. It says the ground was dry. And I think the significance of that is that God doesn't leave anything half done. He removes the water from the earth, and then he allows Noah to go forth. And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. and God spoke to Noah, saying, Go forth from the ark, and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee everything that is with thee, of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth, and be fruitful and multiply unto the earth. You see, God is starting over. So He's giving the same command that He gave in Genesis chapter 1. To be fruitful and multiply. And... We also see there was great patience from the from the time that that it that it stopped raining there was still a number of days and even weeks before Noah could exit the ark. But again God didn't forget and Noah was ready when God said come forth out of the ark. Could someone read for me Genesis 19 verse 29? that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. I want to just bring to our attention again the remembrance that God has toward the righteous. And there's a lot of things in the Old Testament story of Lot that would tell us that he was not righteous. If we just read the Old Testament, we would say that guy was a messed up dude. The things that he allowed to happen to to his daughters—it just it, that's messed up. But God remembered Lot, and God calls Lot righteous, for we read, for we read in the the apostles or the the, the uh, we read in the Gospels that Jesus Himself refers to Lot as righteous Lot. You see, one of the blessings of being a believer is that I am not bound by the, the reality of my sin because my sin can be dealt with at the cross. My sin allows me to not stay who I am, but to become who I can be. And God views us from that vantage point. That's the lens where He wants to view you from. If you have trusted Christ, He does not look at you and see all your sin and see all your mess-ups every day. He looks at Jesus Christ, and Jesus says to him, I paid for that with my blood. And God the Father says, That is sufficient. When he took Gideon to lead the people of Israel over the Midianites, he wasn't looking at Gideon and saying, Oh, Gideon, you're so young, you're so small, you're from you're from the smallest tribe, and you're hiding in a wine press. How can I ever use you? No, he says He says to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, How am I a mighty man of valor? Well, it's because when the power of God came into Gideon's life, he became a mighty man of valor. God looks at you based on what you can be, not just what you are, and I'm so thankful for that. Because I'm not what I was, and I will not stay who I am, but what I will be is perfect at the end of time. In conclusion, we will look a little bit at Genesis chapter 8 and then one verse in Genesis chapter 9 and then we will conclude. Starting in Genesis 8, 20-22, we have God's promise and a sober reminder that we're going to talk about. It says in Genesis 8.20, And Noah built an an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled of sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I smite anymore every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth in seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. There we have a mention that, that, this, that the seasons are a reminder to us of the grace of God. I do set my bow in the clouds and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. God makes a covenant and He keeps His covenant. And I'm so thankful for that. I just wanted to share this quote. I think I may have shared it here before, but I like it. And it's this. You can't break God's promises by leaning on them. When God makes a promise, He keeps His promise. When you feel weak, when you feel unworthy, just think of God's promises to you. He said, Him who cometh to Me I will in no wise
1: cast out.
0: Just in closing, I just want to tell you this, that we have proof in the following chapters of Genesis that the flood was not sufficient to redeem the earth. For what does Noah do after he comes out of the ark and begins to live in the earth again? He plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk, and he sits naked in his tent. And his sons have to go backwards and put a garment over him to cover his nakedness. This is the same man who God said it was perfect in his generation. Why? Because Noah is a sinner. Just like you and I. He found grace not because of who he was, but because of who God was. And God chose to redeem Noah. And today He is calling to you, saying to you, I want to redeem you. If you have wasted years in your past remember this, that God will restore you. Paul said this, forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward. My prayer for you is that you would repent and seek God today. That you would meet the maker of the rainbow. And trust his promises. And you can know this story backwards and forwards. It's a common Bible story that we tell children. But I know the author of the story. And you can too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. For the story of Noah in your word. We thank you for your watch care over him and that as he was in that boat waiting for you, you remembered him. We thank you that you remember us. We thank you that you know our frame and remember that we are dust. We are so grateful for your mercy. Some people scoff and say, where is Jesus? Because you said He was coming and He's not here yet. But we know that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, but that He is staying because He wills that all men would come to repentance. Lord, I pray that if there be anyone here today that has not come to repentance, that today would be the day that they would do business to You in the quietness of this room. And then if they have any questions, they would ask one of us how they can be brought from death to life. We praise you for your matchless deeds to the children of men. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.